you've heard me say this many times before, and I hope that it never, ever ceases, but I'm excited this morning, and I'm going to tell my face, so hopefully you're going to tell yours, okay? Because I've been trying to keep my powder dry, for those who know what that term means. The word's been burning for a while, and I've been waiting for this opportunity to be able to share what I wanted to share. But I say to you this morning, and I don't say in jest, I don't say out of bounds, but I believe this morning, if you will take hold of this word, it will help to transform your spiritual walk and life. We're not just saying this morning, we're not chip, uh, chucking you a doggy snack. We're going to give you scripture and allow scripture to unfold scripture and to clarify. But this morning, if you can lay hold of this and this word will lay hold of you, it will transform you. There is a prophetic declaration that I believe the Lord is going to lead us into. That when he started to show me, I tell you, I was jumping around like Tigger in my room. And I said to Ange, I said, Ange, I believe the Lord's dropped something in to share with us. And she said, what is it? And I said, you will have to wait and find out. But this morning, if we had a title, the title would be The Law of Spiritual Gravity. The Law of Spiritual Gravity. What is the law of gravity? What goes up? Now, you know that God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Would that be right? And we know that God's rubbish at maths. He never, ever passed his GCSEs. Because he said, one can chase a thousand, two can chase... Well, surely that's wrong, isn't it? You put that down in your exam, you know you failed. How many hours are in a day? How many does God say there is? There are 12 hours in the day. Because we're not supposed to work at night, we're supposed to work through the day. There are 12 hours to work. We say 24 hours. So in God's equation, things get turned upside down. Now in the law of gravity that we understand, what goes up must come down. But in the law of spiritual gravity, what is down must go up. I'll read you a scripture from John 16. This is where we launch from. This is going to be a little bit like when the last time God spoke to you. God always speaks from the last place he left off. You know that? So I'm going to start speaking to you from the last place I left off. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Verily, truly, I tell you, the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you love me and believe that I came from God. Until now, you have not asked. The whole emphasis of this morning, press in, that God's goodness is there, that he hears us, that he wants to declare his favor upon us, that we come into that new season. It says, until now, you have not learned to ask for anything in my name. You ask because the Father hears you and loves you. Whoa. 
I think we could disqualify probably 98% of us just right there. Because that scripture, if I read that and I tell myself every day, I will then have my drop-down list of every reason why that doesn't mean me. It's going to talk to everybody else, but not me. If we remember the word again that we've used this morning, but pastor used last week from Proverbs 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, Turning your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight, shout aloud for that understanding. Remember, our ears were turned, I moved my heart, and then I decreed what God was decreeing. It brings me into wisdom. So I'm never passive in your spiritual position and walk, you are never passive. You should always be moving from one degree of glory to the next, following and walking where he goes. Amen? Amen. There's a great scripture that I think, again, we think it's for everybody else. The secret things belong to the Lord, but what is revealed belongs to, to me and to my children's children. God is revealing that he wants to work in our lives, that he wants to break out in a river of healing, that he wants to transform people, that he's looking to raise sons and daughters. All of that is our position change. You know we're in August now, and it's crazy. You think you look and think, where did the year go? I've not even filled in half my diary, never mind, because I didn't even think I was in July yet, and now I'm in August. It's moving so quickly as things push on, but at the start of the year, we got the three Ps. Progression protection, and progress. Now, how many of those continually sow that spiritually when we're praying, when we're building? My God, you have declared divine provision. You have declared progress for us, Lord God. You have declared protection over me and my household. What is revealed belongs to you. It shouldn't be a one and two kind of group of company that say, yes, I've been blessed this year, but 98% of the people aren't. We should be moving as a house and stepping into, this is your season, your favours, yes. I step in and then it becomes a reality to me. What goes up must come down. What is down must go up. Pastor Tony's been talking about, hasn't he, and sharing with us the days of heaven on earth. And it seems to be, it's mystic, it's out of there somewhere, It's not. It's as real as this. Two worlds colliding, two worlds coexisting, two worlds where God said, I have two families and I am completely at ease out stepping out of one dimension into another. I can step out of heaven directly into your earth and still be fully at home. But can we do it the other way around? Where I find myself in his presence Do you know the wonderful scriptures that says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence? That Jesus Christ has gone beyond the veil. And because he's gone beyond the veil, we have access to the throne of grace. We can step straight in. We can access heaven through that spiritual dimension of stepping in. Now, I'm not talking about astral planing, yogic flying, whatever you want to do. I'll be transformed from one place to the next. We know God can do that. He'll move people like he did with Philip in the book of Acts. Suddenly took him and dropped him into another place. But we are talking that our home and we should be at ease in moving into his environment the same way as that he can with us. Now, for time, I'm not going to read the scripture, but I'm going to make a couple of points. We read in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. Now, just think of it. These are disciples. He says to two people, they're disciples because they've been 
The story tells us they've been around the disciples. They all know what's going on. And Jesus meets them. This is the third day. This is resurrection day. Jesus has given all the promises about, and on the third day, this temple will be restored. I'm coming back. Don't worry about it. I've got to suffer these things so that we can come to glory. He's told them all. He's passed on all the, the story. He's given all of the back story that they need. Are they in Jerusalem? Are they waiting for the Christ? No. We're going back to default setting because I've become slightly disillusioned and thinking that God's timetable slightly out. And they've walked away from the place they're supposed to be. And then Jesus meets them on the road. So Jesus meets them on the road and it says, and they were kept from recognizing who he was. So Jesus kind of, this is Phil's paraphrase Bible, turns around and says, what are you doing lads, what are you up to? And they go, are you a numpty? Are you the only person who doesn't know what's been going on over these past months and weeks in Jerusalem? No, I don't. You better tell me. So they say, Jesus, a great prophet, has been killed. So he's a great prophet. We believed he would be the one who redeemed and restored Israel. And we have heard that the women went to the grave this morning and they had an angelic encounter because he wasn't there. So hang on a minute. Jesus has said, I'm going to raise again on the third day. Here's all the stuff. Why aren't you where everybody else is? Why have you gone back to your default setting? And Jesus says to them, quite a long passage. Jesus says to them, how foolish you are, how unbelieving. And it says he goes from Moses all the way through to Isaiah to explain every scripture that it showed who he was. And explain what Christ must do and how he must suffer for the glory of mankind. They get to their destination. And Jesus looks like he continues to walk on. They turn around and say, don't carry on. It's nearly nighttime. Stay with us. He goes into the room. He breaks bread. As he breaks bread, their eyes are opened. And Jesus disappears. But here's the context of all of that. The reason to say all those things. They walked with Jesus, but yet had no understanding of who he was. Because now they've declared that a prophet had died and not the son of God. They declared that the redeemer of Israel had been taken away rather than the savior of mankind. John the Baptist, right at the very birth of his ministry, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and not just Israel so they lose perception of where he is there and they'd lost position because instead of being in Jerusalem where the Christ was waiting to return they've gone back to default setting and are disappearing back home but here's the key thing the key thing is this the one statement that they made did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke? This morning when God's declaring, any day when we come together corporately or as individuals, does your heart burn when God starts to reveal himself to you? If God can't stir you himself by the power of his Holy Ghost, there's no chance for any of us. You know that? 
I will never move me if God can't move me. Now, I don't know about you. We always don't like to acknowledge it, but we're all getting a little bit older. Slightly, a little bit. I'm almost 30 now, and I'm thinking the speed of change. You know, one of the things that frightens us most is often how quickly things change, and I fear whether or not I can keep up. Do you know, don't tell him, because he's not here. Don't tell him, but the other day, was at Dan's house doing a job. Now, my job is a nice job. As you can see, I have nice nails, wonderful, clean hands. Dan is a mechanic, so he has no nails, indent dirt and grease, and he's got a grip like an orangutan. And I was trying to get the top off something. Couldn't get the top off because, you know, it's slightly wet. I've got to find an excuse for it. It's slightly wet and you're slipping. And I just went, yeah, Dan, open that for us. And he just popped it. And you know you get that thing that goes. (laughs) So, of course, then, Dad, Mom, Dad's getting really old. He had to ask me to open up the bottle for him. (laughs) We get caught in that process of change, don't we? Now, what's been happening, especially over this last 12 months, is that as God has been moving in the lives and in, in the house as a whole, You'll hear people say, I can't really keep up. There's so much being said. God is delivering so much from heaven. How do I change? How do I keep up with what's being said? And I wrote down three simple steps for us that hopefully should appease all of us at dealing with the process of change. The Holy Spirit stirs. I say yes in my heart. And it's his job to bring me into understanding. The Spirit speaks. He stirs me. My heart says yes. And it's his job to lead me into all understanding or into all truth. We want to disqualify ourselves by thinking that as soon as God speaks from heaven or Pastor Tony or whoever is ministering the word, says something on a Sunday morning, that means that you understand it instantly. Do you know why I wouldn't be here if that's the case? You know that Pastor Tony has said that there was some years ago when uh, Dr. Jonathan was teaching on a subject. He taught it for three years. And you're in that room with some very, very smart people. And he taught on the order of Melchizedek. I had never heard anybody mention or go into that subject of Melchizedek apart from um, Melchizedek was the king of. People don't go there. And he taught it. And we looked at him the way you're looking at me now. It was what? And he taught for three years. And you go, don't get it. Don't get it. Philip DuPont will get it because he's got to be the sharpest bloke I know. Philip, really struggling. Can you help me in this? No, I thought you were going to help me. (laughs) You just didn't get it. And then the penny drops because the spirit brings understanding. Don't disqualify yourself in the pace. Just start and keep saying, yes, your heart is stirred. I don't understand, Lord, but I'm stepping in. Do you remember what we said about the seven facets of God? That God speaks, God knows, God wills, God fulfills. All of the things that we went through and we understood him at a greater level at the end of it, yeah? But we would have said that we understood him at the beginning. 
He's bringing that understanding. If I can keep saying yes and he stirs me on the inside, then he will lead me into that truth. Amen? He'll save us and bring us out of there. Now, here's the thing about the stirring. Have you ever had it? I don't take sugar. Not took sugar for 30 years at least. Well, can't be 30 years because I'm only nearly 30. I'm nearly 30. See, my mum used to put sugar in my bottle. Oof, nearly give myself away then. So I've not had sugar for a long time. And have you ever had it where you've picked up a brew and you've drank it and somebody's gone like that with your brew? Oh, they've got no sugar in it. And you think, it's no sugar. You're drinking their brew with sugar in, but you can't really tell. It might have a little glimpse, but you don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? You kind of, it doesn't taste like there's any sugar in it. Just a faint trace because you think they've stuck the spoon in it and the spoon's had a bit of sugar on. That's what you think there's a residue. You kind of figure this. If you have a cup of tea or coffee, it's not just the sugar that makes it sweet, but the stirring process that will change its environment. Because it sits on the bottom until you start to activate it. So if you have a brew and you don't take sugar, I can have yours with sugar in as long as it's not been stirred. But if it's been stirred, it's going down the sink. Can't hack it at all. And that's the whole thing. God is looking to change your internal environment. He wants to stir us. He wants to provoke us at times. He wants to, those in my group, pointy stick you, put you in an awkward place. God loves painting you in a corner so there are no more excuses. You know when you've got no options left? All you've got is him. He loves doing that. You know, there's a great thing about the church. God made the church the way that he wanted it. Do you know that? That in the book of Acts, he birthed it and made it exactly the way he wants it. Now he wants the church back the way he made it. And in doing that, there are things that are stripped in and out of you and I, and there are things that need to be built back up. As we said, the days of heaven on earth must become a reality to you and I, and not just the pastor. You and I have to learn to step into that environment. You know, if you take the context of Genesis and the fall of man, it falls quite simple. It's this. One of us must become like man so that man can become like one of us. Very simple process. That man was lost. Jesus Christ, the lamb of the world, who takes away the sin of the world, he's slain, he gives up his throne in heaven so that you and I can have access to God. He says, I must become like him so that they can become like me. Now, we're not saying that you suddenly became God. But we are made in his image. Amen? In John 3 and verse 16, I'm sure every single person could quote that in here this morning, couldn't they? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or only begotten son, depending on what translation you read, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But do you know that God's got more than one kid? Are you all gone quiet now? You know that God's got more than one kid. He's got you for a start, and he's got me. Because the whole process of Jesus Christ going through what he went through was that you and I would become sons and daughters of glory. This is the bit where you tell your face. 
In Hebrews 10, uh, 2, sorry, in verse 10, it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting for God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Christ suffered, died on the cross, became a curse for mankind, so that you and I can be called children of the living God. We are adopted into the family of God. Yes? Now, a perfect illustration for me is I have two kids, two boys, Joel and Dan. Dan, for my sins, is still living in my house. Yes? Joel, for a long time, for about six years, has always had his own place. He moved out as soon as he could afford it. That's it. The bright lights and big cities moving for me. And it was like Tom and Jerry where the small mouse moves. He went off to the big city and he's got his place in town. Now, we have two locations or two um, places where they live. Children. I have one who lives at home and I have one who lives in town. Are they still family? Are they still blood? Do I still love them the same? Exactly the same for you and I in Christ. That Christ is it, the home with the Father, and I'm here in the bright lights, big city. Two locations, one family. He is the only begotten who lives with the Father, but we are the rest of the children who live somewhere else. And God wants to visit both. And he actually quite likes it when we go home. Occasionally. <laughs> there was a disclaimer there from somebody. I'm not saying who it was, but it was Kath. There is the disclaimer. Now, I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail, but I just thought of the scripture that said, blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because you come back home. But he wants us to visit and not just to live. See, we want to access heaven, and we've been told in church, when you die, that's when you get access to heaven. God said, I made heaven an open access for you the moment you became a born-again son and daughter of the living king. I want you to be able to tap into the resources. Your kids are no different than mine. Do you know what I mean by that? They walk through the door. You're lucky if you get a hello. Their best friend in the world is that big white thing in the corner called the fridge. <laughs> they walk straight in, the door open. I'm helping myself to the full content. I'm not tipping you, by the way. There's not like a money box on the side that says, right, well, let's see, it's meal deal, sandwich, three bags of crisp, a uh, can of pop, or oh, that's got to be £3.50. Nothing. It's fill your boots, and it? There's a chocolate bar in your back pocket, sandwich and all the stuff left on the side, a couple of bags of crisp, Two bags of, or bottles of Coke or whatever you've got. They empty the lot and walk off, do they not? I might be cheesed off at the mess that they leave. But the resources of my house are available to my children. Yes? What is different between you and God where he says, See, I give you everything you need for life and godliness... I've given you full access and permission. You're not going to offend me when you reach up and lay hold of my promise and pull it down. Now, for those who are old enough, and I know who's old enough. Do you remember in the 70s, that song, 
No charge. Do you remember? No charge. Where the kid comes in and goes, right, mum, you've asked me to cut the grass, to wash the car, and to walk the dog. And the goal breaks out his little checklist like the kids do. Washing the car, £3.50. Cutting the grass, fiver. Walking the dog, I'm not cleaning up after it, walk your own dog. And they give the list, don't they? And he comes out and you owe me £10.50, spends this week for what you've give, I've given you, this work that's been undertaken. Would that be right? Do we remember the song? And mum pulls out her checklist, doesn't she, and starts to write. For sitting up with you all night when you had the measles, no charge. For teaching you to read, no charge. For being there and kissing your knee when it all was all scabby, no charge. And it's a big list. And at the end, the kid gets his bit of paper because he's been shamed by everybody, rips up his piece of paper, says, no charge, and he walks away. God is not charging us for everything. We want to charge him. Well, God, I've been good this week. I've been righteous this week. I prayed this week. And we demand that God pays us for the work we've undertaken on his behalf. And then he goes, drop down list. And how most of us could be so shamed at just that thing of saying, no charge. How he poured everything out for you and I. But if we can take hold of and not just have in our minds, but live it experientially, that we are sons and daughters of the living king, things begin to change. Remember the statement, what goes up must come down, but what is down must go up. Let's continue. What is your spiritual position? I'm trying to keep myself, I'm doing it all nice, I'm not being too giddy, keeping the pace right. This is where I wrote myself a note that says, if you have a spiritual or sacred cow, I'm now going to kick it. Okay? Just think of something just for a moment. For those who are in my authentic group, just bear with me because we discussed a little bit of this. Just think for a second. We have said he's brought many sons and daughters to glory. Jesus Christ gives up his position in heaven to become a man, to live without sin, to be crucified on a cross, to become a curse, to be put into the grave, to be rejected by mankind, so that through that, you and I could be brought through to glory. Would that be Bible? We know there's more to it than that, but in a nutshell, yes? We see that he says, I'm going to give you everything for life and godliness. We see that he calls us sons and daughters. We see that he makes provision for us. We see that he gives us access to the throne of grace. We see that he says there is nothing that is held back from you. We see that he gives us a name and the authority to use in full power of eternity, the name of Jesus Christ, to go and do what Jesus Christ does. Would that be Bible? Even if we don't fulfill it. Yes? So he's doing all of these things. The, the Bible turns around and says that all of heaven rejoices at the salvation of one sinner. Yes? So God does everything to bring you where he is and to give you access and to make it easy 
Why do we then think that every time I step forward, he wants to slap me in the face and say, I'm not talking to you, next? Do you know that whole story, if you see somebody going to the club and a bouncer's on the door, it says, uh, sorry, mate, no jeans and trainers, do one. On your bike, jog on. Yeah? We have this picture that Peter is standing at the pearly gates going, sorry, Carol, no jeans and trainers, jog on. He's done everything to give us access to where he is. The fact is, religion, our own philosophies, and our own understanding that says, God is here, I'm here, and never the two shall meet until the day when I go toes up and they carry me off in that wonderful little gold-handled box and put me in the ground or wherever, wherever I go. That's the time I actually get to walk up, shake his hand and say, good morning, it's me, Phil. I don't think we've ever met before, but let me just tell you about my wonderful life that I've led. We could not be further from the truth. Access is open to you and me every day. Now, I wrote this note just as an addition this morning. Do you realize that God was never taken by surprise when there was rebellion in heaven? He was never taken by surprise. When Satan got ideas above his steps and he says, I'll be like the most high, I'll be like him. And he had the I wills that you read from Isaiah and he decided that this is me. My dog's bigger than your dog and I'm going to take something on. God was never taken by surprise. Do you also know that God was never taken by surprise that man would fall when he created him and put him in the garden? But there is a difference. God made provision for man to be returned even though Satan couldn't. You ever thought about that? Satan cannot repent and say, oh, right, you were right, I was wrong. Come on, let's get in. He's out. So in my mad mind of being craziness this morning, because this is a this morning note, I was thinking to myself, what made us different from the angelic? Scripture's quite quiet on the formation of angels, but we see how God created everything else, including man. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let the sea come this far and no further. God spoke and the animals were created. He speaks the heaven and the earth into being. He speaks the angelic into being. But with man, he made man in his own image. He forms him from the dust of the ground. And then a very unique thing. He then breathes his breath into you. The difference between you and the angelic. You were created by his hand and the very breath of God is what gave you life. Do you remember when I said before? That he formed the church the way that he wanted it. And now he wants the church the way that he made it. What was the last thing or one of the very last things you see Christ do before his crucifixion? What did he do to the disciples? And he breathed on them. What happened to create man is, is the way that he birthed the church. The very breath of God that came into man was then breathed back into that which would form the church. That's another thing for another day, but it's a little side note. But I want to show you something now, because this is where your position and your understanding of position 
will change. You have to bear with me because I couldn't find a God-shaped one, so it has to be as close as we get. Okay? Percy Panda. Percy has a name. Can everybody see Percy? Percy the Panda. Can anybody see Percy the Panda? Yeah. Percy the Panda here at the front. Percy and the Panda represents me. You are Percy the Panda. Is that okay? Now, the scripture tells me this. Now, remember, we're only allowing scripture to interpret scripture, not my own philosophies or understanding. Now, if I read you a scripture, it says this from Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Where does Christ live? Where? Okay, right. So, in that very simple understanding of Christ living in me, let's just open Percy Panda, one-handed. The scripture says that in my, inside of me, Christ lives. Yes? So that's fine, isn't it? Wonderful. There he is, Jesus Christ living in me. But in John chapter 14 and verse 23, it declares this. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me and will obey my teaching, my father will live them and will come and dwell with them. So if we've got the Christ who came when I accept him as my own personal saviour, if we love Christ, the scripture is very plain that says, the Father will make his dwelling also. So in Percy Panda, I've got the Christ, but I've also got the Father. That lives in me. So inside of me and inside of you, when we accept Jesus Christ, are two facets of the Trinity living. Yes? Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it declares this. Now it is God who makes us both stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and he set seal of his ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts. So at salvation, Christ came to live inside of me. And where Christ is, the Father must be also. And because of that, the Father says, I will also give you a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, the Holy Spirit, who will live in you also. So why are we always trying to make it so hard? Because it's nothing that you did apart from yes to him. It says, when I say yes to him, Christ came to make his home, his home in us. The Father makes his home in us. The Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance, makes his home in us. And that is a sealed deal. There is no one different than anybody else. Well, it's not. Veronica, because she's got a new haircut. And it's not Kath that she got up this morning. She said something. So they're God's favourites. Because we know about favourites, don't we, kids? But inside of me, Galatians says this, speaking of Christ. The fullness of the Godhead deity lives complete in him in whom we live. So the full deity lived in Christ and we live in him. Amen. So the picture goes right around. Now, hopefully, I'm not confusing you. I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible with Percy Panda. That inside of you, 
Percy, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost make their home. That's the starting point. That's not when you got special. That wasn't when you got rid of all of your addictions and your problems and you stopped swearing and the sneaky fag at the back of the bus. It wasn't when you cleaned everything up. It was the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal saviour that happened. That is a springboard to lead us into the life and life more abundantly. But because, going back to our very first scripture, until now you have not asked for anything in my name, is because we believe he's never speaking to us. But he says, how special do you need to be? I came from heaven, I paid the price, I've put my son in you, I live in you, the Holy Ghost is in you. I open up the avenues to heaven, I open up the avenues to gift, the avenues to revelation and understanding that you might also carry the ministry of reconciliation to see captives and prisoners set free, to do what I do and you're still sat on your backside. You see, there are different camps of people. Some people will get something and it turns up, so you've got a new hoover or you've got a new DVD player or something like that. Lift it up, take the DVD out the box, put it on the floor, open up that little booklet that came inside. Step one, plug me in. Okay, plug you in, yeah. Step two, take me out the box before you plug me in. Right, that should have been step one then. It's Chinese instructions. So there's all the process and you follow Press this button, go over here, just make sure that your SCART cable is... And they go through the process. Then you've got the plug-and-play generation. You know the plug-and-play generation is, get it out the box and let me see if you can make it work. Yeah, you just get it in, you're pressing everything, it's not working, I don't know, I did it, let's have another go. Some will go to the instructions, try and follow the blueprint, which is the word of God. They will read the instructions and then leave everything that they've got in the box for another day. And then you've got the other people who say, I'm not really following the blueprint. I'm just giving it a go and trying to make it work. You know, the right place is somewhere in between. That if we hear the word and move to application, then he is a wise man. So we understand our law of Percy, Percy the Panda. I was trying to call him something else then. Percy the Panda, inside you and I, lives the Holy Ghost, the Father and the Son. Would we say that's biblical? Would we say that's what he has declared? But the Bible also says that Jesus Christ is the what of the church? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Bible, correct? Right, now Jesus is the head of the church. And what you've got is this decapitated head that just kind of floats around in nowhere. Would that, would that be Bible? Because if it's a head, it must have a body. So who's the body? So we're the body. Okay, let's see if we can make that biblical for a second. So in Colossians 1.18, it says this. And he is the head of the body, the church, speaking of Christ. He is the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead. That in everything, he might have supremacy. So Christ and the body are connected. Would that be true? You've got to help me here because I'm only simple. So we've got Percy Panda. I'm living here on earth. I don't know if you've noticed. And they might think you've just seen a heavenly vision, but I just need to tell you, I'm here in the flesh. Percy Panda, in him, which is me, this is represented, tell yourself, this is representative of me. In me lives 
the deity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Do not ask me to explain it, because I don't know. I'm not that smart. But the three are living in me. But I am the body, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head. Yes? Are we sticking with Bible? Right. So where is Christ? Let's read Ephesians. Chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. We have been made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. We know what a transgression is, don't we? Three of us. A sin is missing God's mark. A transgression is, I know it's wrong and I do it anyway. Okay? So even when I was a rebellious and still give two fingers to God, pardon the pun, and said, I want to carry on my way, he still loved me, yes? It's by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and has seated us with him in the heavenly places. What goes up must come down. But what is down must go up. So experientially, this is my life. Percy the Panda, with Christ, with the Father, and with the Holy Ghost. Here on earth. Bible. But the Bible also tells me that I am seated with Christ. Not will be. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am here experientially, but spiritually, this is my starting position. That's where everything changes. I am not trying to get to where he is to bend his arm, to get him to like me, to be nice enough and be the pretty one and the one who always looks good, I'm already seated with Christ. But if I fast enough, if I've read enough, oh, I only did three chapters this morning, I only did two verses from Every Day with Jesus, oh, I only prayed on the bus, all of those things, I feel, will separate me from my relationship with God. But he said... I can be and you can be in two dimensions at the same time. Physically, I am here with the Godhead. He is in my environment. We carry the Christ with us. But experientially, spiritually, I am seated with the Godhead in the place that makes it work. That is my starting place. Everybody wants to tell us, and we've been told by dark age theology for years and years and years, I only get there when I die. Jesus Christ said, I seat you here, move from this position on a daily basis. And when I move from that position, my prayer changes, my understanding changes, my faith changes, the way I perceive things changes. Why? Because my heart is stirred, I respond, and then I speak. Because I'm not waiting for this to change. He's already changed me. This is not your end place. This is not the finish line. This is your starting place. 
The access that Jesus has is the same access that you and I have. Now here's a key. The Apostle Paul declared this. Depending which translation you read, you'll see it in two different forms. In Philippians 3 verse 10. I pray that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The rest of the verse we don't like. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. But here's Paul. He writes three quarters of the New Testament word. It's revealed to him. You see how many churches he established and he carries the Christ wherever he goes. You even see in the book of Acts that when the sons of Sceva comes along, Jesus we know and Paul we've heard of. Paul is known here as well as being here. Yeah, he carries Christ. But what's his one prayer? That I may know him and the power of the resurrection. Two factors. Factor one. Some translations will say knowing him being the Christ. I prefer this because it can be plural in its sense. That I may know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In understanding that, I will understand the power of the resurrection. Please, I don't want to dumb things down, but the resurrection is greater than Jesus rose on the third day. It is the gateway and the portal to everything working for you and I. If there was no resurrection, there is no this. It's all a lie. But we step into the power of a covenant. The covenant is, now you can use my name. Now you can access heaven. Now you no longer have to come once a year with your goat being dragged alongside of you saying, I've been a naughty boy this week. All of it, we have access to the throne room of God. All because the power of this resurrection. If your prayer and my prayer can be, Lord, I want to know you so I can understand how it works and how it's outworked, you and I are different people. Because it's not down to how good it can be, how much scripture I can just memorize. Did I go to the prayer meeting this week? Yes or no. It's about stepping out in who he is. Because this is my starting position. Everything wants to keep you here. There was a story, and it's a true story, I heard it from the horse's mouth, myself, of a pastor saying to uh, Dr. Jonathan, so you're telling me that we can teach all of our people to prophesy? Yes. We can teach them to move in the gifts? Yes. We can teach them, you can teach them through this, even one manual, and they're stepping through this little course, how to do my job? Yes. Well, how do I then control people? The system wants to control. Christ is doing everything to release. Captives and prisoners brought out so that you will do what he does. But it only starts when I understand my true position. We need to build intimacy. So when I say to know him and the power of his resurrection, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because it's unfair, but I hear it in different places and I've experienced it myself where we'll say in the building in the spirit, oh, I touched God in a way that I've never touched him before and he spoke to us and it was wonderful and his presence fell. Have we experienced those things? Those who come to bits? Yes. That should be your experience outside as well as inside because if you can't generate that on your own in your bedroom, something's missing. Pointy stick. Do your own research 
I said this to Pastor Tony two weeks ago, and so far I've not been stoned, so maybe it's still Bible. Okay. Outside of being a basic example, I would ask you to find me examples of where Jesus prays with his disciples. They say, will you teach us how to pray? John taught his disciples. But every time I read the scriptures, it says, and Jesus went alone to pray. He has to find, and you have to find, and I have to find, your own position in the heart of God through intimacy, that corporately when we come together, things change. But I can find it on my own, and I can find it in a group. If I can only find it in a group, something's missing. Intimacy has to be established. But Christ doesn't pray with his disciples. I've done the study. I'll save you some hard work. You won't find it. Apart from he gave thanks, or this is how you should pray. There's not, and read the story in the Gospels. Yes, and uh, we interrupted their prayer meeting when somebody knocked on the door and said they were sick. There wasn't. You don't find them in prayer. Christ goes to pray. Find the heart of God. I've got 10 minutes, so we're going to skip through this really quick. But here's some real meat on the bones for you. Do you remember what Pastor Tony said? That when we read the Lord's Prayer, it's a declaration of war. Yes? We, always, we tell the kids in school, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Though I lay me down to sleep, I bless the Lord my soul to keep. All that stuff. We just It's them things that we kind of palm off. But let me show you where this statement of war changes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What's different in heaven that's not on earth? He didn't say, let's have it in heaven like it's with you. Let's you have what's here. So let me read you a couple of scriptures. Revelation 12, 7 to 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. There was war in heaven. Point one for you to understand and just to read straight off the bat. Again, I'll do the work for you. Who's waging war with Satan? Just read it. Is God involved? God goes, I only have to speak. I only have to click my fingers and you're gone. Angel against angels kicking off. Yes. And he's still not strong enough. He's not strong enough to beat Michael, the warrior angel. He's kicked out. Don't think Christ isn't involved here. The Holy Ghost isn't involved. The Father's not involved. In the my dad's bigger than your dad scrap, Satan got a bloody nose and was kicked out. Yes? But the key to that entire scripture is this. And there was no place found for him in heaven. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. There is no place found for him. 
when you and I will step in to heaven and draw it down, have the days of heaven on earth, there can be no place found for him. Because you and I reflect the Christ. We carry light. We carry hope. We carry breakthrough. Sickness is broken. Nations are turned around. The hope is brought back to the hopeless. Prisoners and captives smashed out of of their prison gates. Why? Because there is no place found for him. There can be no place found for him. Again, the whole picture comes back. Genesis. Man have dominion and subdue. How do you subdue what's already subdued? Why? Because you just read the scripture and Satan was cast down. When you turn up, Jesus, uh, when you turn up mankind, Adam, when you're in a garden, make his life hell like we made it up there. Make no place for him. So there's no place for him, no place for him, and I make no place for him. Do not give the enemy an opportunity or foothold in your life. No place, no place, no place. But we start from a position of authority because we're not here as being some little dog. We're sat with the king. With this whole position of authority in us where we can use the power of eternity. Eternity, the power of attorney where we can act on his behalf with full authority. As he moved through Christ, he wants to move through you and me. What is up must come down. What is down must go up. Let me bring you to a decree. I don't have time to go. But with this in mind... We just think of it in the context of archers, and you know who I'm talking about if I say archers. If I am, 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 that's not my tooth. It's just bad grammar. If I'm seated here, spiritually, I'm seated here, experientially, and he's in between, you know we've got him surrounded. You know we've got him surrounded. You know, our positions of prayer is almost, God, if I humble myself and I'm going to fire up this prayer, this is my starting position. I'm picking him off from the high place rather than going like that, will my arrow get up? No, it's got full velocity going from my position of strength down to where he is. Your position changes. Now, here's a good thing. This is where I got light tigger. This is where I got very giddy. Give me five minutes, and hopefully you might get giddy, depending on who you are. But I got giddy. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 24 and 20. Kids are giddy. See, they're all giddy. They've not even heard it yet. 24 and 25. Are you ready? I'm not going to ask you to read. I'm going to ask you to listen. Can plunder be taken from a warrior? One translation Can plunder be taken from the strong man? Or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from the warrior, strong man, and plunder retrieved from the fierce. For I will contend with those 
who will contend with you and I will save your children. We have had for so long that the strong man that Satan has our kids in such a grip that no one could ever rescue them. Think of, we don't even need to mention it, think of some of the lives that our kids and loved ones have got involved into, whether that's drug abuse, prostitution, perversion, you name it, the strong man, and they say, they will never come out. And God says, hang on just a minute. You look and say, can it ever be released from the strong man? The answer is no. But then I speak. And when I speak, I hear. My heart starts to come into agreement with him. And then I declare, God, you contend on my behalf for everyone that fights against me. Why? For the lives of our children. Time will not allow me to go where I want to go, but I'll just say this in passing. There is a story from the Old Testament where the Babylonians come into Israel and the king's a bit giddy and says, let me show you the secret things of the temple. And they show him the gold cups and the things that are used and being consecrated for God. What is the first thing the Babylonians took when they went into captivity? Hey, don't forget that gold stash, it's in the temple. They take the things that have been consecrated and set apart from God and they take them captive. And then the story says, and Belshazzar starts to brag on what he's taken from God. And he says, and him, his concubines, his families, his generals, all of the people of importance are all in a room. And he says, bring out that which we've taken captive And they bring it in and they start to fill them with wine and they start to drink. And he says, and they bless their God of captivity. They said, we bless these gods. The ones that they said, we bless the God of stone and wood. And he goes through all of these things. And suddenly the finger comes on the wall. And you can hear that nail in your mind scratching through the plaster. Today, your kingdom has been taken from you. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The enemy has played the card and he's bragged on the life of your kids and my kids. They've fallen away. They've been disillusioned. They've brought up in church. They've been lost. God says, I contend for those who contend against you. Don't want to be disrespectful, but the picture that came right into my mind Do you ever remember the film Twins, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger? And there's some guys that's bullying little Danny DeVito. And a guy comes up and he tries to knock him around and all of a sudden Arnold Schwarzenegger steps out and gives this guy a slap, knocks him into the lift. And the pitch is so clear in my mind. He leads leads into the lift and he just says, you mess with me, you mess with my entire family. Because we understand our position, because we understand that it all dwells in us, because we understand that he's tried to remove every obstacle, because he's turned around and says, there was no place found, there is no place found, there is no place found, then we can talk to our strong man and say, it's time, you're gone. And we're not offing and puffing. We're not saying, oh, it'll be all right, jump from one foot, talk myself in, talk myself out, okey-cokey prayers. Willie won't he, Willie won't he. 
I stand there in that position and say, it does not matter the declaration that the enemy has made. For my life and the life of my children, the Lord will contend. But he contends because I understand my starting point. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet. We're not begging. We're not trying to bend his arm. We're not just trying to appease him. We're not just trying to please him. We stand from what he has declared. I heard, I changed my heart, and now I declare. So come on, church, maybe you've not got lost. Maybe you've not got kids who's out in the bright lights, big city. But guess what? We're family. Because if it's my kids, it's your kids. If it's your kids, it's my kids. Amen. So come on, church, let's just start to raise those holy hands. And we just start to declare this morning, my God, Father, as you've stirred our hearts by the Holy Ghost, we say yes to you. But Lord, we pray the understanding you will bring. Bring us into full understanding, my God, that we can take this statue. But Lord God, I pray, my God, that your word declares, Father, can the warrior and pray be taken from the warrior or the strong man? And Lord God, we say, yes, it can. Yes, it can, Lord God. And Father, we declare, even right now, the grip of the enemy released off the lives of our children. Over that which was consecrated and set apart for the Lord's use and the Lord's house, we declare right now in Jesus' name that, Lord God, those fingers will be released from them children right now. We call them back right now into the house of God. That which was taken, that which has been bragged about by the enemy, we call into position right now. Father, for there is no God like our God. We take our stance, we take our position as being seated with you in the heavenly places sickness you can have no hold addiction you can have no hold perversion you can have no hold we pray right now in Jesus name that our kids will be sat almost in their right minds their right minds as you arrest them in every dark place wherever they are even now Lord God let that shock come into their system as you arrest them Holy Ghost do your work Holy Ghost lay hold of those kids Holy Ghost bring it back bring the treasure back into the temple cause the treasure to be returned Cause that treasure to be returned in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.